Well, I trust uh, all of you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Those of you online, trust you did as well. Um, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? We really, really do. Um, one of the things that I am most thankful for this Thanksgiving season is that um, one of Pastor John's kids got him uh, a gift from Ancestry.com, you know, where you can see your, your heritage, your family history and all that stuff. And, um, and so the reason that I was so excited about this is because um, many of you know I was born in England, and uh, so I'm British, and I've been a U.S. citizen now for, for almost 20 years, and spent almost my entire life in the U.S., which is why you don't hear the accent. But, uh, but I do have my, my British roots, and, um, and John loves to make light of that around the July 4th uh, holiday every single year, and, and it never fails that I'm the one who's doing a sermon around July the 4th, and he loves to come in and introduce me, and, and then there's like always some mention of like the American Revolution, or the Boston Tea Party, or the, you know, the Declaration of Independence, or the there's always a little, you know, playful dig, you know, year in, year in and year out. Uh, Fifteen years of that has been, it's been awesome. But it all ends now because um, you guys want to hear the results from the Ancestry.com. So, so John Sly is 63% British. That's right. That's awesome. That's a number I will never, ever forget. And this was such a big deal that that actually in our staff meeting this past Tuesday, we had someone who came a long way to present the news to our team. Did you see the picture there? God save the queen, my friends. I mean, yeah, she came all the way to make the proclamation. Uh, John just had a birthday uh, last week. And so, you know, it was nice of her to stop by. She does some of that stuff for me from time to time. So um, anyway, John is my British brother from another mother. So um, I'm, I'm very excited. And that, that's kind of been the highlight of my Thanksgiving week. Uh, I don't know what your highlight was, but that has been mine. Um, today, as we conclude this uh, three-part sermon series called Thanksgiving, we're going to take a look at a story of nine guys who missed Thanksgiving. They missed it. And um, so it's, it's a great story with a real practical takeaway, and we're going to jump right in. Uh, we find this story in one of the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament, written by the physician and the historian named Luke, in the 17th chapter, starting in the 11th verse. And here it goes. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, it makes sense that as Jesus is going into this village, that he would encounter these ten men with leprosy on the outside of the village. Because you see, if you had leprosy, you couldn't be in the village. You you were not allowed to be. And so um, the deal was with leprosy, and, and many of us aren't really that familiar with leprosy today because it's not a big deal in today's uh, world of modern medicine. There's only like maybe 100, 150 cases a year in the United States, very easily treatable. But, um, but leprosy 
It was a huge deal back then, leprosy being an infectious disease that is contagious, that causes these terrible skin sores and actually can cause nerve damage. Um, And so this was such a big deal uh, 2,000 years ago in the Jewish culture that they, they have laws on how to deal with this with very specific instructions because they didn't have the luxury of modern medicine. It wasn't treated in the way that we would treat it today. And so um, what's crazy is there is an entire chapter in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 13 in the Hebrew scriptures or what we know in the church world as the Old Testament. The entire chapter of Leviticus 13 is dedicated to, to kind of dealing with uh, leprosy. And I'm just going to read you two verses that shows you how they dealt with it back then. This was Jewish law. It says, verse 45 and 46, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Now, this was very, very practical because they didn't have a way to treat this disease, basically, the way that they did was to say, okay, we're going to quarantine you. We're going to isolate you so that you don't infect anybody else. I mean, that's good sense, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, smart practice. Not everyone could get infected with leprosy. And so um, what they would do is the tearing of the clothes and the disheveled hair, that was basically like a warning sign for folks. So that if, you, if they got too close, and actually there was like a six-foot um, perimeter that you had to keep from anyone who did not have leprosy, if you, were, if you had leprosy, and, and that included your own family. So think about that for a minute. Your own family. You were completely ostracized from, from everybody. Uh, but if someone was threatening to come too close, that's literally when you would cover your mouth and your nose so you wouldn't, you know, s- spread the disease with the water droplets, and, um, and you would yell out as a way to say, stay back. Now, if you think that's bad, and that would have been pretty awful, it's actually way worse than that if you had leprosy 2,000 years ago. Because the worst part was that the prevailing belief system that day was that if you were doing well, if you were in good health, if you, you know, had a nice job and, and financially all was going great, then it was believed that, that you were living a good life and God was looking upon you with favor and, and blessing you. However, if you had bad health, if some difficult things had happened in your life or you were struggling financially, then basically the prevailing belief system was you must have done something wrong to deserve this. Now, obviously, you've got sin in your life and this is basically God's way of punishing you for what's happening. And, and this, this is the backdrop. So think about this. Now, if you have leprosy, which is this, this horrible disease where you'd have all of these skin sores and you could be disfigured and you'd have, you could have nerve damage. I mean, it was, it was a really grotesque disease to have. So how do you think people viewed those with leprosy? Well, they basically viewed them as being cursed by God. So not only were you isolated from your community for practical reasons, but basically people kind of looked at you and thought, 
man, he deserved that. Like, he must have done something really terrible to end up that way. God must really hate that person. And so, kind of what follows that is what other people hated that person. And so, there was tremendous shame, not just isolation, but shame and condemnation that they would have received from their community. So with this as our context, they approach Jesus and they say, Jesus, master, have pity on us. Now, when you see that word master, that is a word used to denote authority. That's not like, hey, teacher, hey, rabbi, hey, prophet, Jesus. No, no, no. Master, this was a word full of faith and anticipation. These lepers had most likely heard of Jesus' miracles, and they'd heard of Jesus' heart for those on the margins of society. And so when they, when they use this word, it's, it's like a clue for us in the story. Something cool is probably about to happen, because whenever people came to Jesus in faith, something cool would happen. Verse 14 it says, when he saw them, now don't miss this. this, this is so important. When he saw them, you got to understand, lepers were not seen. Their whole goal was to stay out of the way. It was not to be seen. But Jesus, he saw them. He saw folks with leprosy. And not only did he see them, but not in this story, but in others, we see Jesus walking through that forbidden six-foot barrier and engaging with people with leprosy, looking them in the eyes, treating them as human beings, touching them and healing them. If Jesus truly is God who came down to this earth and took on human flesh to help us understand who God is, this is an extraordinary picture of our God. You need to understand, people with leprosy were so hated, so despised. They were freaks. And we see in Jesus God's heart for the least of these in our society. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God? It's amazing. It says, when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, What's happening there? Why, why does he say, go show yourself to the priests? Well, the priests were the ones who were the, the leaders in the village, and those would have been the ones that had the authority to pronounce somebody clean or unclean. So according to law, they were the ones that would make that determination, and you, know, you would be isolated, or you know, you'd either live in isolation for the rest of your life and, and die, or you would get better, and you would be reinstated as a clean person. And so when Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, there's only one reason why he would say that. And that is because he wants to heal them. They would go show themselves if, if you know, they were now well. So the lepers, clearly they, they pick up on this. They're going in faith, confessing Jesus in this title of authority. And he says, go. And so they don't argue they do exactly as we talked about last week. Remember we talked about um, listen or invite God to speak and then do what God says, those two marks of a Christian. And it says as they went. So they just went. They did exactly what he said. And as they went, they were cleansed. 
Now, we read this and we think, man, that's so cool, you know? Jesus, he healed all kinds of people. It would have been so amazing, you know, to, to be there and be part of that. And I mean, imagine how it would have been for the lepers, you know, like to be healed of this horrible skin disease. But it's so much better than that, you guys. Think about this. They were completely cut off from their entire community, their whole world. They couldn't even be around their own families. Their lives were over. They were reduced to begging for food and basically just staying away from everybody and waiting to die. And now they've been reinstated. They've found their community again. They've, they're able to have a livelihood and be a productive member of society. I mean, the entire trajectory of their lives were changed forever. This is a total game changer for them. This is way more than a skin affliction being gone. Their whole life is now completely redirected. Verse 15. It says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. It says in verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, interestingly, uh, Samaritans were uh, Jewish people who had married outside of the faith. And so they were really seen as uh, lesser people. They, they, there was a lot of tension between Jews and Samaritans. They did not get along well. And so really what the point here is that this guy was like the least spiritual of the ten. And yet he's the one who's gone back to thank Jesus. Verse 17 says, Jesus asked. So he's, he's got this one at his feet, just thanking him, praising God, right? And he says, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, this is a very, very simple story with a very simple takeaway for all of us. What Jesus is conveying here is that when God does something good in your life, he wants you to say thank you. It is really that simple. When God does something good in our lives, he wants us to stop and say thank you. Now all of us would say, we agree. Okay, yes, this is so simple. Who, who would argue with that? Of course. And you might say, well, Derek, this is so obvious. I mean, I'm a grateful person. I appreciate what God has done for me. Of course. In fact, you'd probably say, I would never be like those nine who didn't return. Of course I would be like the one. I, I have such appreciation for what God has done. And here's what I want to ask you, if that's kind of your visceral response. Don't you think that those nine appreciated what had been done for them? I mean, don't you think they were grateful? In fact, they were probably so busy being grateful that they had forgotten to come back and say thank you. Their whole life was better. Every single aspect of their life had been changed. 
Of course they were grateful. Of course they had appreciation in their hearts. But here's, here's the, the lesson here. There's a huge difference between being grateful people, right? We all liken ourselves to be grateful, appreciative people and taking the time to consciously say thank you to God for what God has done. Jesus is, is basically making a distinction here and it's, it's, it's worth paying attention to. The thing that's so fascinating to me as I read what Jesus says here is it's just a little bit un-Jesus-like. Does anybody, did anyone pick up the tension there? Like, so here's this guy, he's throwing himself at the feet of Jesus. And instead of Jesus kind of like, you know, acknowledging this guy and, you know, and, and just being right there kind of in the moment with this guy, what does he say? He's like, where the heck is everybody else, man? I mean, is, is Jesus having a bad day? I mean, it, it, have, have the crowds thinned out? Has he lost some followers? And is he, you know, is he kind of, is he looking for a little more attention and relevance? Is his ego bruised? And he's like, man, one out of 10, that's, that's terrible. We got to get the numbers up, guys. What's happening here with Jesus? Why, why is Jesus so perturbed? Is Jesus really upset for his own sake? You think? Is he just fragile like that? Is he insecure? You get that sense from what you know about Jesus and what you read in the scriptures? Nah. Jesus actually isn't upset for his sake. He's upset for the sake of these nine guys who've missed out on Thanksgiving. They've missed out on an opportunity to say thank you. You say, well, why? Why would he be upset? I mean, who cares? Isn't the thank you for, for Jesus? Isn't that why we say thank you? I mean, after all, that's what we're taught, isn't it? Like from, from before we can even speak, when we're like less than a year old, what, what, what do our parents or whoever raised us, what are, they, what are some of the first words they, they teach us to say when we get the little cheerio, right? Say, thank you, thank you, you know, whatever, however babies say that word or sign it, you know, thank you. And why are we taught to do that? Well, we're, we're taught to do that because it's the polite thing to do, right? You say thank you when someone gives you something. But the other reason is because we're told, like, you know, to appreciate the other person, that they like that. When they did something for you, you say thank you. It's a nice thing for them. It feels good for them. You know what's fascinating? Jesus is upset for a whole different reason. He's upset because they're the ones missing out. These nine guys, they have missed out on something by not saying thank you. Um, for those of you who the past couple of weeks have been tracking along with this Thanksgiving series and you have been doing your best to, uh, to take on this challenge where we're trying to do less asking God for things in our prayers and more thanking God for what he's already done and thanking God for who he is, for those of you who've been doing this, um, you might have realized the great blessing that is found in the exercise. I know it's been true for me because, you know, typically my default practice when I pray is to just start right in it. Because I'm like, God, you know, we know each other pretty well. So I'm just going to just get, we're just going to get right to it, God. You know, I'm stressed about this, God. You know, this is going on. I'm, you know, I've got this situation and this problem and I'm praying for this person. And I'm just, I'm just laying it all right out there. When I start with that, do you see where the focus is? 
It's squarely right here on me, isn't it? Myself, my problems, my worries, my limitations, right? All, all that, like, that's consuming me. But when I start and I say, God, thank you. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that you're always faithful. Thank you for the joy and the peace that you bring into my life. Thank you for all the things that you've done for me. When I start pushing into who God is, and specifically, consciously, I'm choosing to say thank you to God, all of a sudden, my paradigm has shifted. It hasn't it? And instead of kind of living in this scarcity stress mode, where I'm just kind of, it's all about what's right in front of me, all of a sudden now, I'm pushing in, and I am in abundance mode, because I'm pushed into who God is. It's a whole different place to be. And I find that I'm at a greater place of peace and faith. And, and I'm, just, I'm just at a much better place to start my day. So this simple thing that Jesus seems so upset about, taking the time to say thank you to God, it's not for Jesus. It's not like you wake up in the morning and God's there going, oh man, I sure hope Joe, I sure hope he starts by thanking me today. Like God's up there all insecure. Come on. That's not who God is. But God doesn't want us to miss out. God doesn't want us to miss the perspective. The blessing actually lies in the person, for the person who says thank you. And you know what's fascinating? Research actually bears this out. Did you know that? So before I worked here at Grace, I was in business consulting, and I've always uh, been into business books and business principles, and there's, a, there's a, a guy who's in consulting who's a former Harvard researcher named Sean Acor. He's written a couple of books, including The Happiness Advantage, and he consults with Fortune 100 companies to help them be more successful. How do you help companies be more successful? And um, one of the things he's found is that taking time to express gratitude, to say thank you, is a huge competitive advantage for businesses. So I'll give you just one example of a story that he shared I heard him talk about once. So he talked about he was working with, with Facebook employees. And a number of Facebook employees, um, he had them do this 21-day challenge where he had them take two minutes a day, two minutes each day for 21 days, and they had to say thank you to a new person each day through email. And they just simply had to thank that person um, or praise them in some way. And the results were staggering in Facebook. Now you may say, ha ha ha, I know why they were staggering. Because all those, you know, people that he had doing the challenge, they're all thanking everyone in the company. And so everybody's getting thanked and morale's going sky high and everybody's happy and they all start working harder. No, 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 no. That wasn't, that wasn't what was staggering about the results. Because it wasn't the people who received the thank you who had the results. It was actually the people who took the two minutes a day to express their thanksgiving to someone else. And you know what they found? This is crazy. Among those who did this 21-day challenge, their productive energy levels rose 31%. Their personal sales numbers rose 37%. And their likelihood of a promotion, hello, 
rose 40%. And it was not because they kept thanking their boss for how great their boss was. Now, I don't know how they measure productive energy levels, okay? That's why Sean went to Harvard and I didn't. But here's, here's kind of what's happening in your brain when you express thanksgiving. You do that and dopamine floods your system, which first of all makes you happy, which is a great thing. But secondly, it supercharges the learning centers in your brain. And so what you find is you have increased levels of energy, intelligence, creativity, and the ability to solve problems. Now, is anybody connecting the dots why Jesus is so upset when we don't take the time to say thank you? You, you, you follow? Here's the, here's the deal. This is so much more than business, okay? Sure, I'm sure Jesus, if you're in sales, Jesus wants you to be a great salesperson and get promoted. But here's the thing. If Jesus actually is God and is the author of life and he gave you your life, Do you think he wants you to be living it at your fullest potential? The answer is yes. So Jesus just wants, he doesn't want us to miss out on anything. And if this simple thing where we consciously make a choice to say thank you, we say, God, thank you so much. And somehow that triggers this God-given process in our brain where we have been wired to once we express thank you, there's this flood of dopamine and all these amazing things happen. And we can actually be a whole lot more like Jesus than we were before, enabled by his spirit inside of us and everything that's happening to us. This is what Jesus wants for us. And come on, we talked about this two weeks ago. If we really want to follow Jesus and try and be like Jesus, we've actually got a fighting shot if we're leaning in this way, if we're saying thank you. That's just what the research says. So, here's the thing. Are you moving beyond, I appreciate it, I'm grateful, to taking the time, even two minutes a day, to consciously, deliberately say thank you to God. Because it's a game changer for us. I mean, I don't know what Harvard knows, but I think they know a few things. So here's the challenge. And some of you are already doing this, so I just want to give you an encouragement if you already are. But if you're not, uh, today's a beautiful, beautiful day to start. So, do you have two minutes in your day that you could say thank you to God? Do you think that you could start your day each day by saying, God, thank you for fill in the blank. God, thank you for fill in the blank. Just start your prayer that way. Over and over. Thank you for, thank you for. Just see how that changes your perspective. Some of you, you already know this. You already feel this sense of peace and power and purpose. This sense of it is well. Maybe some of you, you you need to reclaim that prayer before the meal, you know, that that has either gotten so rote and stale and kind of meaningless if you're going to be really honest about it, or you kind of threw it away years ago. 
But just, it's a time to offer thanks. It's a time to say, thank you, God. It happens about three times a day, so it's real nice because it's, it's going to happen and it's going to be a good reminder. Maybe you need to reclaim that today. Others of us, um, maybe God wants to do something even more specific in our lives. Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that is really just tough right now for you. And I don't know, but maybe God wants to do something in that relationship. Maybe if you actually started expressing thanks for that relationship and doing that each day, maybe, maybe God wants to get up to something there. I don't know. And of course, a week from today, we have an incredible opportunity to express our appreciation to God in a tangible way when we're going to pack 200,000 meals for children across this planet who do not have them. And um, I hope that if you have not yet RSVP'd that you will be sure to do so today because it's going to be awesome. And I'm telling you, as, as grateful as those kids are going to be to get those meals, and as much as that's going to just radically change their lives, we are the ones who experience the benefit when we take time to express our thanksgiving to God. So in closing the service this morning, um, we're, we're just going to take a couple of minutes and we are going to, um, to just have a time where we express our thanksgiving to God. So we're going to celebrate communion, which is really the ultimate expression of thanksgiving. So if you are on our communion team or music team, um, please feel free to, to get up now and to get the elements and to take your places. And I just want to explain for those of you who are not familiar with communion, what it is. So this is something that Jesus established. He was with his 12 disciples just before um, he gave his life. And he took bread and he took wine and he told his disciples, he said, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. And this wine represents my blood, which is going to be shed for you because I love you that much. I'm willing to do that for you. And so when we take bread and we take juice, we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is a way that we can express our thanksgiving. It's a moment where we stop and we consciously make a choice. We choose to take that bread and we choose to take that cup. And we just give thanks to God, as Jesus said. Not for God's sake. Jesus established this for us so that we would be reminded as we thank him what he's done for us. So, um, I'm going to ask those who are serving with our team, please go ahead and start distributing the elements, if you would. If you're with us online, uh, please go ahead and just take a minute, grab some food and drink, and um, we're all going to hold the elements once we get them. Don't eat them and drink them yet, and then we will eat and drink together in just a minute. So Jesus took bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now, if Jesus really was God, what an extraordinary thing to come to this earth and to sacrifice himself 
so that we could be made right with God through his perfect life and his perfect sacrifice. Let's give thanks as we take and eat and remember. Similarly, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Let us give thanks as we think about what God has done for us. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for this simple but powerful little account of your interaction with these 10 guys. God, please don't let us miss out on opportunities to say thank you. We, we all know we're grateful people, but, but just, God, help us to, to just be consciously living out those moments where we thank you for all you've done for us, God. We are truly, truly grateful for all that you've done and all that you will do. In Christ's name, amen.